Today's scripture is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Here is the word of the Lord. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, we started up this new uh, sermon series that reviews the fruit of the Spirit that's examining how that fruit of the Spirit might be manifest in our own lives and what it might mean moving forward. And so we concluded last week with this notion of, of the fruit of the Spirit being that which allows our community to become a legacy of being guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is calling us to. If you live by the Spirit, he says, then be guided by the Spirit. May this fruit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control all be your reality all at once, too, in contrast to the works of the flesh, as he called it. And so what might it mean for us to be a community whose legacy is guided by the Holy Spirit? Well, we begin by exploring the different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Now remember, whenever Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's using the word fruit as singular, as if there is only one fruit. And within that one fruit, there are all of these nine different attributes, something like flavors or, I don't know, different portions of the fruit, however that might actually work. You know, it's a great holy mystery. Anyways, there's only one fruit. And so we're going to start exploring these, the different attributes of that one fruit. And I thought about going uh, one, one attribute at a time, but that would have left us with a 10-week-long sermon series, and I can imagine y'all would have been really bored with me talking about fruit after 10 weeks. Uh, so we're, we're talking about three of them at a time, and we're, we're uh, bunched together, three that have similar related qualities. And so today we're looking at the attributes of love, kindness, and gentleness. And we'll dive into more about how those three are connected and what they mean for us. But first, I want to take a look at our passage today as it sets the tone for love, kindness, and gentleness. Paul is writing to uh, the church in Ephesus and, his, and is saying to them, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Have you ever had imposter syndrome? This is a fancy term for an experience whenever you are in a new position or a new job or a new role or you're supposed to be heading up something and you don't really feel qualified to be in that position or role or to be fulfilling that job or leadership. But you do it anyways because you're supposed to, and you kind of pick up this fake-it-till-you-make-it attitude. 
this is called imposter syndrome, the notion that we may feel like imposters in the role that we are serving. We are, we're not. It's not saying that you are an imposter, but it's just that we feel like that. I feel like this pretty often being a pastor. You know, growing up, a lot of the pastors that I saw were not as, uh, not as young as I am, uh, were not in the same life situation that I am, and so that already painted a picture of what pastors are supposed to look like for me. And then, you know, I also think about all of the great wisdom that the many pastors I have, uh, that I have had have shared. And I think there's no way that I could share that kind of wisdom, and certainly not without the grace of the Holy Spirit. So I often feel like I'm living this, living this imposter role, like there's no way that that guy's a pastor. There's no way that that guy is supposed to be leading a church of any number of people. But yet here I am, and you know, each week we're trying to figure out what it might look like to be the church. And it's confusing sometimes, because I don't quite feel worthy of the calling to which I have been called. I don't quite feel worthy. And there are many reasons for that. For one, you know, pastors are supposed to be this kind of emblem that people look up to. Like, pastors aren't allowed to do anything wrong. Pastors aren't allowed to be human. I don't know if you know this or not, but, you know, if, if ever I did something that was very human, made a mistake, you know, I get criticized for it from, you know, doesn't matter, a church member, somebody just randomly walking down the street, uh, anybody who just happened to watch one of our videos, anything like that, you know, somebody's going to pick up on it and say, you shouldn't be doing that. You're obviously not a very good pastor. So, you know, James even warned about this in James chapter, I don't know, four maybe, whenever he says, not many of you should become teachers because teachers are held to a higher standard than others. And so that may be one of the reasons why I don't quite feel worthy, because I still do very human things. I still mess up. It might be because, you know, being a leader isn't really in, my, in the nature of my personality. I've always been a person who plays the background. I was always the person whom, in, like, theater and drama sort of stuff, I was the one actually in the background, like, running all the technical stuff, uh, the one who runs the soundboard or the one who does the tech sort of stuff. I've always played the background, and so being in leadership roles, being right up front is very uh, unusual for me. It's very difficult for me. And I could go on and on about why I don't really feel this, but this, this passage right here, just starting in verse 1, resonates with me, right? Because Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, let's, re let's put this into perspective of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So in Galatians chapter 5 says, do not desire the things of the flesh. Instead, desire the things of the Spirit. For the things of the flesh and the things of the Spirit, they are opposed to one another. This is the life to which we have been called, a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit, a life guided by the Spirit. So how then do we lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Well, he goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we hear some of these familiar words, right? There's the word gentleness there, there's patience, there's love. You know, these are some of the fruits of, some of the fruit of the Spirit, so they're showing up there. 
This is what it means to live, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. To adopt for ourselves the personality traits of humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. And you know, we go on and on. These, this isn't an exhaustive list. It's just, the, it's just the beginning, the launching point here. Whenever Paul is saying, telling us to live a life worthy of the calling, what he is asking of us is to recognize the way that our lives interact with one another. The way that my life interacts with your life, the way that your life interacts with the person next to you's life, the way that their life interacts with my life, even if we never meet in our entire lives, our lives are still linked by some small thread somewhere. There's still something that if I do something, it could very well affect the life of another person on the opposite side of the globe, if you will. You know, every time I buy a, a, an item that says made in China, I am affecting the life of somebody in China who helped produce this item. We can go on and on about that. But Paul here recognizes that a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called is one that recognizes that we are in community, right? That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. That's what we talked about last week in, in Galatians 5, is that this is all about community. This is what we talked about in our last sermon series, that God is using the community, that our focus should be on the community. And we could define the community a hundred different ways, but the important thing is to recognize that we are one of those members of the community who have the capacity to shape the community. Paul says in, in uh, the rest of Ephesians 4 here, starting in verse 3, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. One. Oh, this is a powerful, powerful notion for us to adopt here this morning. Paul in asking us to live a life worthy of the calling, is saying it's time for you to join in the oneness. To join in the oneness that God has laid out for us. And what that means is to no longer think about yourself as just one of many, but to think of yourself as one of one. I know, that math doesn't really add up very well. But this is, the, this is the direction that Paul takes here for us to recognize that the community is one entity and that we are one entity operating within that one entity. He is saying we are called into the oneness of what God is doing in the world. And he carries on with this oneness and saying there is one body. Remember, Paul is the one who uses the body as the analogy for the body of Christ, the church, right? There is one body, the church. Though it has many members, there is one body. And then he says also in verse 4, And one spirit, the spirit of God, just as you were called to the one hope. There is one hope that we all share as the one body in the one spirit, and that is the hope to be reunited in the love of God. One Lord Right? We believe in there is one God, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
one faith. Yes, there is one faith. We might have many denominations and many different ways of exploring that faith, but it is one faith, one baptism. We are united in the one baptism. Though it might be by different waters, it is baptism by one spirit, one God and Father of all. And then we start getting into the all language as Paul tries to turn this back and reconnect everything that while there might be all of that out there, we are united in one. Paul says in verse 3, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We are called to join in the oneness. And so how do we live into this calling in a worthy way? Well, we take it back for a moment to love, kindness, and gentleness. These three fruit of the Spirit, which all are linked through one common attribute, that they are a way a means of interacting with other people. Love, for instance, love, the word that's uh, used in, uh, as love in the fruit of the Spirit, and also here in verse 2 when it says bearing with one another in love, that word is agape in the Greek. And you've heard me talk plenty about agape. Agape love is unconditional, self-sacrificial love. In other words, Paul is calling us to consider one another through this lens of no matter what you do, I am willing to sacrifice some of myself for you. Kindness is the next word of, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, which while not directly mentioned in our Ephesians passage today, uh, has the same connotation with it. The word from the fruit of the Spirit that, that translates to kindness is krestos, krest, well, now I'm having a hard time. Crest OTs. Crest OTs. And this word trans can be more well translated as either moral goodness, so we have a little bit of an ethics lens here, or also to act for the good of people regardless of what they do. To act for the good of people. It's another relational term. Kindness. You cannot have kindness without a second party. Kindness is an exchange. And while you can be kind to yourself, that still recognizes a second party. There's you and you. But primarily we're looking at kindness towards others, acting for the good of people regardless of what they do. Moral goodness. And so it's a connectional thing, right? It's, it's another term that's exploring what it might mean for us to live in community. And then the third word we're looking at today is gentleness, which in the Greek is the word Prautes, probably butchering that pronunciation, but prautes uh, is some, some similar way of pronouncing it. And this word gentleness here tra can translate as meekness. You might remember from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Meekness or also be, can be considered as a mindful way of interacting with others. In other words, not being the boisterous, bold, upfront, in your face kind of person, but being considerate of the way that you interact with others. Meekness is not equal to weakness, but rather is a more controlled way of interacting with other people. Gentle, right? When we hear that word gentle, you can almost, you can almost feel gentleness. It's dainty, it's delicate, it's not weak, but there's a compassion 
that, that's associated with that. Right? So, so these three words all have to do with how we, as one entity, interact with the one community in love, unconditional self-sacrificial love, in kindness, acting for the good of people regardless of what they do, in gentleness, being mindful of how we interact with one another. Now, there of course are the antonyms to these. There is certainly the potential for us to act out of hatred in the community. We see that quite frequently. There are plenty of acts of hatred. Murder is an act of hatred. You know, the accidental murder, we, we go off on a different transit, but if you point a gun at somebody and fire, there cannot be love for that individual, right? That's, you, you cannot want to end a person's life if you love them. So there's hatred. On the inverse of kindness, there is meanness. This seems to be what media is filled with these days. You, know, you hear me talk about this way too much, but anytime I turn on the news or, or scroll through social media, there's always some attribute of meanness there in which people are calling out other people saying, oh, this person's the worst. No, this person's the worst. And there's, it's just mean, right? We know meanness. We know how to identify meanness. We can say that is not kind. And that's, but meanness is another way we can interact with the community. And gentleness. The antonym of gentleness is harshness, right? And in harshness, we recognize that those who act harshly to others, it's abrasive. We can feel that word harshness just like we can feel the word gentleness. It doesn't feel good. It, uh, it just kind of makes you cringe a little bit if somebody's being harsh to another person. But once again, this is another way in which we can, we can interact with the community. But, but Paul here is calling us, begging us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so that worthy life is one which recognizes the antonyms, but chooses to live in love, in kindness, in gentleness. It chooses that if we are going to be joining in the oneness if we are all going to be in this together, then the only way to cohesively do that and to make it meaningful and to leave a legacy of being guided by the Spirit is to do so in love, in kindness, in gentleness. And so my challenge for us today is to be guided by the Spirit, right? This is only possible through the Holy Spirit. This isn't the fruit of humanity. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To let us be guided by the Holy Spirit to leave a legacy of unity. Imagine that. Imagine if our history books looked back on this era and talked about the unity of the people rather than the, the division. Because isn't there division on, I mean, every single topic under the sun? It's conservative or liberal, it's Democrat or Republican, it's, you know, Christian versus atheist. I don't know, that's really an argument so much anymore. But there's always this polarity that's dividing us, that's saying this way's right and this way's wrong. And what we don't understand, what we don't grasp is that all of us are still in this together. We're just choosing to interact with one another through it very poorly. And so, like I said, my challenge is for us to be guided by the Spirit to leave a legacy of unity. That whenever people look back on this era, 
the era of technology, the era of COVID-19, the era of, the, of 2020, I mean, God, everything that's gone on in this year, what if people looked back and saw unity? People coming together and saying, yes, we have differences. Yes, we differ on the way we approach things, but we're still in this together. And so out of love, out of kindness, out of gentleness, I'm going to choose to be a part of this oneness. I'm going to join in this oneness, this one body, with this one spirit, in the one hope for the one Lord, out of our one faith, in our one baptism, for our one God and Father of all. I'm going to be a part of this with you together. Let us be guided by the Spirit to leave a legacy of unity. And let us pray.